Welcome, welcome, welcome to Potshot episode 23. There's no towels today, so me, other Alex, I will once again be your host for today. Of course, I won't be doing this alone. I have an exciting guest, Seb at Uhlenberg underscore. Um, you find him on Twitter. Seb is an Arsenal and Frankfurt fan uh, from Germany and also part of the Yogo Benito podcast crew. How are you, Seb? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm very, very well. So we do have two games to review, but please forgive me. We're going to start them a bit backwards. We're going to start with the Sunday win over Fulham, 3-0, before moving at the end of the pod to the Europa League draw with Sporting on Thursday, um, which will also do a preview of the second leg at home. In the middle, though, we'll be focusing on looking at how our front line has changed and evolved since the World Cup, as well as focusing or considering whether there's anything to worry about regarding what has seemingly been a leakier defense um, in that period. So let's get straight into it. The Fulham review. What did you think of the game, Seb? I think first half was, from an Arsenal perspective, one of the better halves we've had this season. Like the entirety of the one-touch passing through Fulham's relatively disorganized press <laughs> was extremely good. It's a hard game to really take much away from after the first 45 minutes. Um, and even before then, because if you look at this Fulham team, they've been solid most of the season. But if you actually look at their underlying numbers, they are last in expected goals allowed for the entire season. They've had an incredible overperformance, largely down to our uh, German friend and goal. <laughs> um, Glad he's found a good home. Yeah, me too. Yeah, But this felt entirely like a few of the things that Fulham have been doing all season coming back to haunt them when they haven't previously. Yeah, I thought it was quite a poor performance, especially in the first half. I was, I mean, I've seen, I haven't watched too much of Fulham this season, but I've heard a lot and I've seen the occasional game. I think they were quite good against, um, I think it might have been Man United or Liverpool earlier in the season where I watched. They were quite dominant. It was actually Chelsea. Apologies. Um, yeah, that was the very bad Chelsea team. That was a very bad <laughs> Chelsea team, to be fair. But, but yeah, they were quite poor against us. I thought, especially in the first half there, they did a high press that wasn't particularly... It was kind of on and off in terms of being aggressive. I almost felt like it was quite passive, but committing high at times and also stretched out. There wasn't a compactness to it. And then at other times it was overly aggressive, not particularly coordinated or cogent in how it went about it. It made it quite easy for us to play through in the deep phases. Um, and even when they were sitting off a little bit more, of a mid-block, we still managed to access pretty much any area we needed to. We went through the middle pretty easily. Um, I felt like they came to... out pretty aggressive early on to they did. test them and immediately got pulled through. I think also missing <laughs> Palinia was significant there because he really solidifies their press in terms of going into their last line with his incredible tackling range. And having someone to read the play as well, I guess, because yeah. that was one of the big things is every time we had like Trossard dropping, which we were doing often, we we're having Odegaard and Xhaka kind of pulling a little bit wide, pulling the interiors with them and then Trossard would drop and they were just very slow to react every time. It made us very, very easy for us to break through them. Okay, so I thought it was a contrasting sort of fortunes in terms of both teams' high presses versus deep build up on either side where... We cut through them very, very easily when they were pressing us up high due to both a lack of really coordination in the high press. Um, also, yeah, just a lot of different problems there in terms of they were quite stretched out. They didn't really move together, made it very easy for us to kind of access the second line. And then on the other end, we also managed to just shut down their short passing build up very easily. I'm not quite sure why they even tried to play out that way because it caused them a lot of problems that would often end up getting to toss and not really having any clear passing options, trying to kind of play a direct pass into the middle of the pitch, party eating it up, and then us regaining possession and attacking them. Why do you think we managed to, first let's start from 
maybe our build-up? Why do you think we managed to cut through them so easily? I think Fulham's, uh, Fulham's high press was constituted both by them wanting to commit forward early, but also us provoking them with central central defenders holding onto the ball for quite a bit to invite their build-up and uh, break through them by using almost a Deserbian method of chance creation by holding the center backs and pulling the striker back to create almost a 4-2-4 situation or 4-1-5 when Shaka pulls up to stretch there. Uh, and Trossard's role in this was just uh, essential here to drop in and create overloads centrally to progress centrally and play in through the wingers. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we're going to get more into Trossard and like the role he's played in the team basically since coming in, especially at false nine in a bit. But yeah, I think we managed to break through him incredibly easily. Just we've normally been using this sort of box shape. Everyone's been talking about in midfield, but the way he kind of just dropped in, added that extra presence in the middle. And not only in the same way that we have used someone like Eddie like that in this post-World Cup run, right? But Eddie's more of a, a passing board where you play it into him and he can receive and pass it back to keep possession. I think with Trossard, we, you know, you manage to pass it into him and he can actually hold onto the ball, make that sort of next choice, whatever, you know, having that extra little bit of moment to be able to, to know where to break through. Not only that, but also him pulling out left a lot of the time, managed to either leave himself unmarked or pull someone else out, opening up space in the middle. Him and Party were basically the two main breakers of their press. Party either blowing through their press with a skill move or dropping back to create to to the back line to then progress onwards that way and pull them apart and Trossard either moving left to get Martinelli central or dropping in to create an overload there. Those two were key to progressing effectively. On party, actually, do you think this is one of the best games you've actually seen of him in possession? I'm a big critic of him in possession in general. Me too. But I thought, but I thought he was actually pretty great, like, yesterday. Much better than I've seen him pre- pretty much all season, I would probably venture to say. I think he's had some good performances before, but not in a while. Usually he can be really laboursome. There was even one moment, I have it in my notebook, but I'm not sure where, where he, he actually checks for Saka's run way before he receives, and that's not something you ever see him do. I, I wonder how much Jorginho coming in and just giving that sort of threat and, like, inequality that he doesn't necessarily provide. Now is making him up his game there a little bit more. He seems to be a bit sharper since his last injury. And th- this game was one of the better ones he's had in possession, but also in a game state where it suited him quite a lot. Like, against the high press, his tendency to go more vertical with his passing is more appreciated than when we're actually facing a deep block and he has to probe and tempo set, which breaks down a few times with, again, his tendency to go vertical when he doesn't necessarily need to. I also think it was definitely helped by the fact that they were very aggressive with their midfield pressing, but very slow to react in a way that both of their interiors were a bit all over the place. I think it's also what made it so easy for us to kind of manufacture those passes into Trossard dropping, using Xhaka holding a little bit wide, Odegaard doing that late push wide, opened up a lot of space. You were speaking about that sort of Deserbian right from the back building through, and I think Saliba Saliba's role in building out was, was quite valuable. I think both all three of them were great, but particularly Saliba, and I think it's something he is always been really good at. He's one of those players when whenever I watch him back, he's better on rewatch. And it's just that ability. He knows how to kind of entice or beta press out, especially kind of using negative touches, maybe dallying a little bit, but then not only being able to orientate himself to find the, the next pass, whether it be progressive into the guy dropping into receive, which was often Trossard this game, Odegaard a lot of the time too, or whether he... You know, we'll just pass across to Gabriel, who is kind of by baiting the press or, or enticing players to jump towards him, opening up a lot of space for Gabriel to receive and push forward or pick the next pass. I think that was also just a huge 
hugely important way in which we managed to break through their first line and get access into the midfield pretty immediately. Yeah. Saliba was a standout this game, I thought. Not just with his on-ball stuff, which created a lot of good situations for us, as you just said, but also him as a defensive rock in that back line. He, I, thought, I think he had the most defensive actions in the entire team and handled the Mitrovic threat extremely well, especially after the last weeks where his aerial threat was criticized somewhat. Yeah, I mean, this has been a thing with, with Saliba. Basically, I've watched him a lot throughout his his senior career, and it's always been an issue. A, used to be in terms of just judging the flight of balls. I think he's got better at that. But dueling in the air has always been an issue for him because I think he's, he's one of those I feel like he could... doesn't really know what his frame actually is. He yeah, seems to I think would... <laughs> he's smaller than he actually is. And he has very little interest in going body to body with his... With, with with the person he's competing against, which means just by virtue of him just trying to compete for the ball where other players actually trying to compete against him too, it immediately puts him at a disadvantage. I think if you watch Zinchenko in comparison, obviously far smaller player, but being incredible in the air, we've been speaking about this on the pod, where what he does... Even just watching against Gabriel, who yeah, relishes sure. direct contact. For sure. I think Gabriel's, Gabriel's kind of both just a, a hulking presence and someone who loves to get on the back of his man, like fighting for those balls. So, but with Lissandra and, and Zinchenko, you kind of get smaller figures. You just know that they need to deal the player as well as for the ball. And I think that's probably, that's probably a big step that Saliba does have to improve. Maybe alongside being overly nonchalant, I would say. I would, I would say a lot of his best performances this season have been in the bigger games. Um, I thought he was great against United. I know that he got quite a bit of criticism there, but on rewatch, he looked really good. Um, and I know general, there's been like the West Ham, there's been the Brighton game, there's been the Brentford game, which was quite, quite sore viewing um, as a Saliba fan. Manchester but City as well. <laughs> yeah, City, I thought he was actually fine a lot of the game. It's also not easy to handle Haaland. There was the one moment where he got knocked over a little bit. But I thought he was. It was the same pretty... problem as the Brentford game, just the direct contact with Haaland. Yeah. But we are speaking of two of the best physical specimens in Premier League <laughs> that he is dealing with. So let's move on to another of the best physical specimens, and actually, let's talk about Gabriel. Firstly, his goal—that's his third league goal of the season, which is joint most for a centre back this season, but also the eighth since the start of last season, which is the most of any defender in the league with um, Van Dijk second with six. Um, what did you make of his performance, aside from the goal, including the goal, also it's just his general importance, I guess, at both ends of the pitch nowadays? Yeah. Like, Gabriel is an interesting one. His offensive aerial threat is staggeringly good. Like, his anticipation for balls and timing of movement is impeccable. Contrasting that with especially pre-World Cup, his aerial prowess in his own box. I had questions on him. I'll be honest, I criticized him a lot pre-World Cup. In terms of both his aerial timing in defensive situations in his own area, as well as just these silly lapses of concentration he had in his game pre-World Cup. Like we've had six or seven moments or possibly even a moment per game where Gabriel did something silly when defending his man pre-World Cup. I'm not sure what it's down to, but his sort of defensive awareness and rashness of going into challenges has improved greatly after the World Cup. Maybe, and I've seen a few on Twitter say this, that maybe his exclusion from the World Cup squad and the disappointment that went into that helped him to sort of give him a reality check because he has gotten a lot better in those situations. His passing has always been good, especially when he progresses down the half space, which he can in the three-man build-up. And his importance on set pieces can't be overstated. Yeah, I mean, I think... I'm not sure how much I would buy that he's improved because of his exclusion, but I mean, maybe... 
I don't know either. Just one of the reasons that could have happened because the improvement pre and post World Cup is yeah noticeable, extremely noticeable. I think for sure he's a lot less mistake prone. I mean, I'm a I'm a Gabriel fan. I think he's always pretty good, but his issue was especially before the World Cup is that there was going to be a mistake every game. It's kind of like what you see with Ramsdale. I think Ramsdale's a great keeper. But there's a mistake almost every game. There was a mistake in this last game. Maybe not entirely his fault, but a lot of it was his fault. Um, and I think he's basically just cut that largely out. Part of it maybe is being... I'm not exactly sure why. I think he's just... <laughs> I don't know if it is a concentration thing. Maybe it's it's more comfort next to Saliba now. Um, a lot of his issues the season before is I don't think him and Holding played well together. But I remember back in Lille, my impression of him as a centre-back was, A, he wasn't as aggressive at Lille, but also he was someone who didn't really make mistakes. Judgment was very good. And then maybe he was just, you know, playing in a higher line, more dangerous sort of, you know, more mistake-prone role. I think he overcommitted to the high line a bit when he was adapting yeah. to it. Like him jumping out to, to press his man became a problem I remember this second half of last season. It was getting it was getting really bad as well in terms of how often he would end up leaving space behind him from misjudging the aerial challenges. There, I would definitely say. Yeah. I would say and him, him and Ben White just weren't a complementary duo because those stepping out high line moments are exactly what Ben White excels at, and having him be the more passive figure in that back line hurt both him and Gabriel for overcommitting back then. Having Saliba there, who's way more natural in the sweeper role, has improved Gabriel as well, I think. I think absolutely. It's also, did you see him celebrating that, that block in the 91st <laughs> yeah. minute? I'm not normally someone who wants to like point out these things, but I think this team, so much of what makes this team so good is that is the mentality. Like You can really feel it. I don't think it's like being overly you know, mentality monster to kind of speak about it, but he's one of the the leaders in like a more emotional sense alongside Jaka that really adds to that steel of the side. I mean, yeah, it's just, it this this season could really go down to, to goal difference and just having that sort of desire to not even concede in the 91st minute is huge. Yeah. We should never forget that these guys are humans and that soft factors matter and that we have different kind of leaders in this team that makes it excel at the moment. Like, both the Gabriel Jesus and Gabriel Magalesh guys are extremely emotional leaders. You have Shaka, who's an organizer type, together with Martin Udegaard. And having those guys there together with Sinchenko, who has become the emotional heartbeat of the side, has benefited the general atmosphere, both inside the team and the fan base. Yeah, you can really feel it like reverberating yeah. back between the team yeah. and the and, and that's the, and the, the important thing because i think the fans would notice if the emotion was manufactured yeah i agree i mean i think i think also you know pep's been using making this point for like the whole season about just the, the the hunger is like the difference between city and arsenal and i do feel that it's true i mean you can really feel that there is that that extra edge is that the team really, really, really wants it. And you, the, the fan base can feel it as well. And it feeds back into each other in a really, really good way. Definitely. With that said, let's move back on maybe looking a bit more tactical in the players themselves. Um, I think one of the other things that really stood out this game was obviously Trossard's three assists, which now means he has one goal and five assists in 4.3 league 90s with us. Um, obviously, Still not as good as Reese Nelson's per 90 yeah. stats. Yeah. <laughs> Something to emulate, though. Um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously both small small sample size. Um, obviously, Trust is also a huge XA over performance right now. But what is your what what have your impressions been of him? I was optimistic when we signed him. Like going back to the way the deal actually happened, I was one of those guys who were skeptical on Mudrik the entire time. Like his talent is obvious, but. He was never the fit for what we were doing at the moment because he never seemed like a immediate plug-and-play option for a team that is competing for a championship. So signing Trossard, who has had a 
extremely good footballing education, both under Graham Potter and even the few weeks he spent under Roberto de Zerbi have been wow. <laughs> very helpful for him as a player. Like he yeah. got evolved into this sort of double false nine position that de Zerbi had him playing and did very well. I saw Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast describe him as a collaborator. And I love that. His mastery of small spaces allows him to play in virtually any role and effectively collaborate with the guys who are around him, which is essentially what this entire system is based on. We are creating small-sided games with a few players in them to collaborate essentially with one another. And having him as an option there is extremely valuable and has alleviated a lot of the problem we've had without Gabriel Jesus in the part of the season where he wasn't here. Like we're, we can speak on the Eddie run as moderately successful because of the goals he scored, but it's borderline undeniable that we've lost a lot of dynamism in our attacking play in those moments because Eddie's just a different player more static nine player we've improved his overall game a lot especially through the wing sessions he put in last season but his ability is still in back to goal work centrally with Trossard there we've seen a lot more of the four-man rotation we've seen previously like when Jesus was playing we've had the rotation between him Martinelli, Shaka, and Zinchenko moving in coordination with one another. When we had Eddie playing, we've sort of reverted to only having the Zinchenko, Shaka, and Martinelli triangle moving, which often ended up in Martinelli being isolated in areas he's not fully comfortable in, and Shaka playing extremely wide, which negated his entire progress. Um, and having Trossard back who can rotate with Martinelli in the wide area has also allowed Chaka to regain his position as the box crashing presence. He was when Jesus was playing, which I think has also positively impacted his form over the last few games. The spaces where Jaka was more comfortable receiving is a lot of it has to do with angles and the angles that we managed to manufacture for him to receive at within the final third. And that's something that under Eddie, well, not under Eddie, with Eddie at center forward. I, I compared, and I have before compared Eddie a lot to kind of like a more mobile lucker <laughs> in, in many ways. And the, and the team kind of ended up, I think we're going to speak about this soon, but it sort of functions how the nine can perform and what it can offer the system. And what you have with Eddie is a more box threat, obviously, than lucker, more mobile, but still you get that central dropping in sort of thing. He doesn't move all over the place. And then what that means is that, and also he's going to occupy the last line a lot, which we actually did see with Trossard this game is that he just left, he vacated that space. Um, Fulham didn't really push up that much. He found himself free and it caused more problems in the midfield, right? Eddie didn't really do that often, or if he did, he would do it to kind of op just be a passing option to pass back and then try to do something. Just not his profile. Right? right, exactly. So I think you get the ball into, even that offside goal that kind of came from those rotations between Martinelli, Trossard, passing the ball back into Xhaka, sort of at an angle where he can play that ball through. Um, I mean, I'd be interested. Overall, I think I, I was wrong on Trossard, so I was more skeptical on Trossard. Um, I, I share your thoughts with Modric. I thought there's huge talent there, um, but he's a project player. I don't think going to Chelsea was a great move for him, to be honest. I think coming here would have been... But it was going to be, regardless of whether he went to Chelsea or whether he came here now, I don't think he was going to come straight into the team like people thought he was going to. I thought he was going to be Martinelli understudy, not just because his season was effectively, it was, you know, whole, he had me playing for months. He's, he was in a preseason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not only that, but also he's just not quite there yet. He's a really nice option off the bench, I would have thought. And I would, would have loved to see him in those half spaces kind of has a little bit of a Rizisky pass and move thing to him. It just wouldn't have been worth the return on investment having Mudrik there for 80 plus million for a project player with, what is he on? 3k professional minutes? 
<laughs> in his entire yeah. career, coming off a it's preseason so, in a title like race. Those are circumstances that would break a footballer, any footballer. <laughs> I think I think those are fair points for sure. I mean, I also think we wouldn't have put that pressure on him within the squad. It would have still very much been Martinelli. But but yeah, I think the big thing with Trossard was when we were getting him, I was still thinking left wing. I'm still not that convinced by him left wing. I think there's nice things. I don't think he really plays that high wide role that effectively. He's got better delivery than I actually ever realized that he did at Brighton. Something I was wrong. But still, despite that sort of close control, when it's out wide doesn't really lose his man, but just the ability that he has when you can play him centrally in those pockets, um, as you were saying, that sort of collaboration just from that immense, immense close control, it opens up a whole different level of creativity that has brought back into the side. And also, obviously, the the fact that he's more flexible than someone like Eddie is in that role um, has allowed those rotations. It's allowed those sort of connections now where Martinelli can actually make those central runs again. I mean, what he has now five goals in his last five league appearances after two and eight um, in the, you know, sort of the 80 run post-World Cup. Obviously, it's a bit simplistic to put it into those numbers, but I think it really does bear out um, in the eye test. Martinelli was basically doing the role that he had last season where he was just kind of camping left, holding the width a lot of the time, doing a lot of the brunt work. Yeah. Like in the Nketiah run, we were basically just relying on our two interiors and striker to do central play and relying on explosiveness for our wingers, which I think is also a main reason why Trosser, when he played at left wing, wasn't the best in his early days because he was playing with Nketiah. And that's not a criticism to him. It's just that he doesn't have the raw explosiveness that our other wingers have to excel in that role. I think were he to play left wing once Jesus is fully back to fitness, that would be a different story because then he would have would be one of the rotation players to combine in that left half space. Yeah, I agree. I think I think that takes us nicely to first let's speaking about Jesus's resurrection of Jesus, as you've put it in the in the doc. Um what did you think he of his first sort of... here, no? <laughs> I wish I said that in the doc, but what do you think what did you think of his sort of our first glimpse back at him i mean he gave us exactly what we needed from him some nice sort of amazing spin move and then a big chance missed and that's exactly that's exactly where we kind of left off with with gabby it genuinely felt like he didn't miss a beat (laughs) i was very surprised by him coming back and immediately being the gabriel jesus we've been accustomed to pre-world cup i actually think the big chance missed is a bit over indexed it's a complicated shot to take on and it's also the wrong decision I'd say that Vieira takes like there were two options on the left hand side to take that would have resulted in a cleaner shot you know what I need to actually watch it back because I was focusing on everything Gabby was doing once he came on so following so were the crowd they were cheering every (laughs) every touch he had which was very nice there were good touches too what also the other thing I noticed and this is a nice thing having him back is that we could play long again? I, I yeah. forgot how I forgot how good he is aerially. Just in his terms physical of being able presence to... is immense. It's crazy, and I think that's going to add a whole a whole another level to our play again. And yeah. it's maybe an underspoken about aspect of what we missed when we had Eddie and Trossard as our as our centre forwards rather than rather than Gabby. Yeah, and him competing in those physical duels. For the, in the first game he has back since the three uh, since the three month in, injury is also a positive sign on where he is actually that he isn't shirking away from those situations. To be fair, I don't think he's the sort of player who would shirk away. But I'm happy. I was worried that he would look a little bit off it physically. I mean, knee injuries knee injuries are one of those weird ones where a player can come back looking fine, or they can come back looking really rusty for a couple of months, if if not in sort of an indefinite sort of lasting impact of that injury right and hopefully i mean i don't think he'll be starting on thursday probably will be trussard again we'll get into that later but basically the quicker he comes back the better it is for us in terms of this run in um but i think one big thing is that the team has changed a lot chopped and changed since he's been out right we've been already we've already kind of touched on it but 
what basically happened when he got injured, we reverted to the system from last season with Gabby Martinelli sort of holding the wide space. Xhaka not really playing a little bit deeper like he was last season, but being quite ineffective higher up um, because he didn't really have those angles created for him. And of course, the striker all being quite central, not really drifting out to, the, to wide um, areas. And because of that, not much rotation happening. Then what we've seen in the last couple of weeks, I would say especially post-Everton game, is again Arteta reacting to the situation. We've had Trossard playing like a budget, I say that affectionately, a budget Gabby J role. Um, we have been seeing those rotations more. More and more with each game, I think this last one was... I think it's important to say that we had rotations with Nketiah. They were just rotations that ended up in situations where some of the guys involved weren't that comfortable. Like we were still rotating Sinchenko inside and rotating sure. Martinelli inside, but that ended up with Shaka having to hold the width and put in aimless crosses, which broke our play more than once. I would also say they happened a lot less fluidly. Like when you watch the rotations that were happening now against Fulham and at the beginning of the season, the rotations happen kind of in response to what's happening around you know, the yes. spaces that are opening up, whereas I felt because the system was just naturally more static and we weren't really being able to pull players where we would like, the rotations a lot of the time, not so much with Zinchenko, I think that was a natural thing. And obviously when you're building from deep, there's more space to kind of manipulate. But especially with the Xhaka wide, it wasn't necessarily happening to go into open spaces that you'd pull the team out of, right? The opposition's team. It was kind of trying to make space bases happen just by moving players around there wasn't that sort of informed dovetailing that we had earlier in the season but yeah there were rotations for sure but yeah maybe not as many yeah what we were lacking was that striker moving over to the left to 100%. accommodate martinelli moving inside because the person who accommodated was granite jacker who's not comfortable in those situations i think jacques is a massive beneficiary of of us returning to the system that we started the season Definitely. off with. Um, what would you say now should kind of be the thing going forward, right? Because I do think Gabi J... Arteta's spoken about the fact that now Gabi J has to earn his spot back. I think he will pretty soon. You were speaking about actually having Trossard as an option out left rather than Martinelli with Gabi J as the, the central forward. Why would you prefer that to Martinelli? I never said I preferred two Martinelli. Okay, okay. We're creating <laughs> options here. Like, let me not. <laughs> Trossard could conceivably play any of the attacking roles in the dynamics we're creating when we have a striker that can move horizontally and vertically. That's the thing. Since the point where we last had Gabi, we've created a situation where we are more multifaceted. Like, beforehand, we were running the Martinelli. Jesus, Saka, front three, in every game. Since then, we've been able to recover ESR somewhat. We've found an option, especially on the left-hand side with Reese Nelson. And we've signed Trossard, who is able to fill in multiple roles and is probably the best option were we to ever give rest to Saka. You think? Trossard on the right? He, I... I... <sighs> I think him or Vieira are the players that are would be most comfortable there. Trossard maybe a bit less than Vieira because of the left foot, but mm. he would be able to create fruitful situations with Odegaard on that side. Those thoughts are still very much in the frame that we don't have anyone who can effectively play the role Saka is playing when he's not there. I don't really have a take here, but what do you think of Reese Nelson out on the right? He had one game there, right? He played Nottingham Forest there when Saka oh, went off injured. 16 minutes or so, yeah. Right. And in that game, which was against, argue, not arguably, against statistically the worst away team in the Premier League <laughs> this season, who have scored four goals away from home, he was doing a lot of good things. He wasn't doing Saka things. He was more rotating inside and combining with Gabi J at that time. So he could do it, but he I, I see him as far more comfortable when he has access to angles on his right foot, which he doesn't have as much when he's playing on the right. I did see him a bit for fair notes 
Um, I think it was actually against Marseille where he played on the right. And I was impressed. Uh, this was in the Conference League last season. And I was impressed with him on the right. But I do agree, definitely in terms of goal threats um, and creative, creatively, he's much better on the left. He's also very good at cutting in. It seemed to me that he has more confidence and options when dribbling when he's on his when he's able to find more solutions with his stronger foot. And also he really does like to kind of step in and then open that space up wide for the overlapping fullback generally. If you had to compare the two of them, I think Trossard's going to run into a lot of the same issues if you have him out on the right. That's fair. That I would. So it's maybe it's mainly an issue that we don't really have someone that great out on the right to back up for soccer. Having said that, what do you think of Reese's sort of ability to get into the team in the sort of run to the end of the season? I think he was really impressive again against Fulham. He had that one really moment. My criticism has always been that he does kind of lack that explosiveness. He definitely looks, I'm not going to say he's a particularly super explosive player, but he looks more explosive and stronger than I've seen him in previous seasons. Um, there was especially that moment late in the game where he kind of received it out wide with his back away from goal, kind of facing like the sideline, took the ball and then managed to kind of round his man, kind of shielding the ball, using a lot of upper body strength to do so, to get to get goal side, which is not something I would have expected him to be able to do generally in those sort of deals. I think he's a big beneficiary of us pushing teams up the pitch and playing in very reduced spaces because I think his first few steps are actually quite impressive. I think he struggles over long distances and I was afraid that he had lost that little bit of explosiveness he's gained after his injury because he's he was very impressive both in the Nottingham Forest game and a few games f f that followed that, especially the Brighton Cup game, which everyone had to watch on replay because it was televised <laughs> nowhere. Um, and the um, the Juve friendly game where he got injured. But it's encouraging to see him keep the same intensity he has and explosiveness that he has when dribbling in those reduced spaces after his injury. I think he's a really valuable piece we can have against low blocks because of his immense dribbling capabilities. Um, I actually think he was actually quite good against sporting as well. I know we're going to speak on that, but he was one of the more impressive players in that performance as well. All right, let's move on to maybe the other person we have spoken about a bit, which would be Emil Smith-Rowe's return. He's already got an assist in that game versus um, Bournemouth. but where do you kind of see him breaking into the side? Because obviously we've kind of spoken about Trossard can be play on the left. Reese Nelson prefers the left. Obviously Martinelli's our general starter there. Whether he go continues to be, we'll see. Um, I would say so. But that kind of leaves Emil Smith-Rowe a bit of the odd man out. And he's not even getting minutes off the bench at the moment, despite being fit. What do you kind of see his role going in for the rest of the season? Like, where would he fit in? I think I'd be realistic as to how much he's going to be involved for the rest of the season. I think we're still in the process of finding him again after his long-term injuries. I think a lot of the reason why he hasn't played in recent games as much, except for the game he had to, was just down to injury and him, the, the coaching team, not wanting him to relapse. But yeah, the question of where he will end up is an interesting one because when we fused him, we we're, we've been using him again on the left wing. He came on for uh, Trossard in the in the Bournemouth game, and we've actually switched him over to the left and Martinelli through the centre after he came on. And I'm still struggling to see if he feels comfortable in that area. I think it takes away a lot from his ability to create centrally. The best work he's done in wide areas, I think, has actually been when he was playing on the right-hand side in an inside position to exchange and swap with Saka. But I think there are a few possibilities for him to still find ways into the team, but they're largely hypothetical at this point. Like, I think he has the raw profile to be an excellent nine slash false nine 
in this system especially also being able one of the only ones who are able to switch both sides in rotations to actually swap over with Sako and playing in that in that spot um and the other one would be to have a right-footed player on the left in the left aid or actually swapping Lodegar over to the left and having ESR on the right which is even more hypothetical because we were put we would put one one of if not our best player out of his natural position yes i don't i don't actually ever see i want i've wanted to see it just to kind of see the different especially passing angles that would be available to Odegaard. but i don't think it would verticalize this game a bit wouldn't it it would be it would be fun to watch i think he'd be able to access a lot of different just those sort of balls right kind of in that like not to use zones but like zone 16 17 in the box that sort of little alley i think we'd be able to find a lot i think he's also got a kind of a good switch but i don't think we're likely to see that under our i don't think either his status is such that he has his role and that will be his role he's our captain he is the right (laughs) aid and i don't think we're moving past him anytime soon but I would love to see Smith Rowe in that left eight role. I've wanted to yeah. for a while. I think especially when we are against low blocks, you've spoken about Reese Nelson coming in on the left. Smith Rowe coming on for someone like Xhaka, if we had to chase a game, seems like a very viable option to me. He's also quite comfortable dropping in to receive deeper. Um, yeah. And he has a physical profile, whereas I could see him playing deeper in settled defense. Whereas I don't really see that with Fabio Vieira. Yeah. Like his frame and his work rate suit themselves more to that role than it does for Fabio currently. And I also think he's a bit more mindful of keeping possession. Like he has a natural understanding of when to release and stuff where I think Fabio will get kind of clustered a little bit and then try to play like a long pass rather than, you know, sort of more the Odegaard and Smith Rowe sort of route of just looking for that, that pass out moving receiving again turning our attentions from our attackers fared since the world cup to looking at our defensive performance there's been a lot of talk relatively recently about how we look a bit leakier post the world cup than we did beforehand i mean just to give you raw numbers pre-world cup 14 games 11 conceded seven clean sheets after the world cup 13 games now 14 conceded and five clean sheets and then also there's a thanks to Scott Willis on Twitter, who did, uh, it's a week old now, but did big chances conceded per match. Pre-World Cup, 1.16. Post-World Cup, 2.08. We conceded no big chances versus Fulham, so that number will have diluted. Do you, do you think this matches up with the eye test? I'm unsure on this, actually. I think we've looked, eye test-wise, a bit weaker but I think a lot of that has to do with the game states we're playing in. Like I've taken a look at the games we've conceded again, uh, conceded post World Cup, which were West Ham, where we were in control in our usual build-up for the first 24 minutes until we conceded a dumb penalty, which was the goal we conceded. The Brighton game was a we were four 0 up and they threw everything at us game. The United game became a transition game once Rashford poked one in from 40 yards. <laughs> um, the Everton game and Brentford game are interesting for different reasons. Brentford mostly because that goal should never have stood, and I'm still quite angry about it. And then we're moving into individual mistakes with Manchester City, Aston Villa, and Bournemouth. But we've played more games behind this time around than before the World Cup. And I think that has as much to do with us not being able to score within the first half an hour, which we were consistently able to do before the World Cup in a lot of games. I think that has to do with it as much as just conceding more chances because we were playing in more neutral game states. Um, And I think a lot of that is simply down to people scouting us and figuring us out in a sense of not overcommitting in the first 20 minutes of games. Yeah, I think that's, these are a lot of good points. I mean, I'm still unsure on where I stand here. I think it's also just the natural, like the fact that we are fans at the end of the day and we're in a title race. It feels like everything Every every chance is a death. 
Basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm unsure. I think the points you make are pretty much a good case for why we probably shouldn't worry. And maybe we aren't even necessarily leakier. Leakier is an awful word. I've, I've used it many times now. More vulnerable at the back, let me say. And we just also have to say that we've faced a few harder oppositions in this round than in the first round. We haven't, we didn't play Brighton in the first time round, and they have solidified themselves as a team that can cause major problems. Dito with Manchester City, Dito with Aston Villa, who are an entirely different prospect than when we faced them on the Gerrard in the home game. And then games like Everton, where it was unique circumstances of. I mean, I do think they played very well against us, but we were caught a bit cold. There where... were a few soft factor elements that contributed yeah. to that game being the way it was. And also the Bournemouth game, which is a complete outlier where you're behind after nine seconds. That does bring me to it, though. I mean, you spoke about the fact that teams maybe don't overextend themselves or are wary to at the beginning of games. And maybe that's why we're not scoring as much so early. Obviously, it's also natural. We're a very good team this season. Teams weren't expecting us to be this good at the beginning of the season. But do you not think that maybe we we have dropped a little bit in terms of intensity right from the go? I think somewhat, and I think that's a natural occurrence of being in March and not in, in September anymore. We've found ourselves in a unique position where we've had a lot of players going to a World Cup in December. So... I think there are a lot of contributing factors that are not necessarily in our control that have contributed to it more than us becoming worse at defending. You've convinced me. You've convinced me. I think I think largely. One thing I will say is I think Saliba's maybe dropped off a little bit. Teams have figured out that they can target him more now. But at the same time, Gabriel, as we spoke about earlier, has got better. Set-piece weakness, do you think that that's something that we should worry about i'm not even sure if we were actually particularly weaker at set piece at defending set pieces i should say now than we were in the first half of the season but it does feel that way the set pieces are interesting i mean i don't know enough about set piece intricacies to really have an informed opinion on it but we were last season i think we conceded two goals on set pieces all season. And I think over the first half of the season, we were also in the bottom or in the top, depends on how you want to see it, <laughs> two or three in terms of set piece conceded in a positive sense. And there has definitely been more th- opposition threat on set pieces, but I don't know enough about them, I can see, to explain why that is. It's also interesting because when we were planning this podcast, uh, I put a tweet out and I've talked a bit about uh, losing the Nicolas Jover juice uh. <laughs> of not being able to score set pieces anymore because we were on a stretch of games where our set piece threat was minimal. We were running a lot of short corner routines of Odegaard getting the ball and initiating for himself, especially in losing game states. But that has sort of uh, flipped around in a Fulham game where we were, and the sporting game where when we were. Uh, when we were dangerous on almost any set piece we put in. I have to say, I think that's as simple as just the takers. I don't think Martinelli or Saka are particularly good takers. I think Fabio Vieira is very good from dead ball situations. And also, we, I think first half of the season, we saw a lot of like neat little routines we were playing. Yeah. We scored in the first game. I think the first goal we scored this season was yeah. the Martinelli. Sinchenko. Yeah. Um, and those run out when you fuse them all up once. So <laughs> I think that's basically just that. We need to get Chauvet back in the lab to get up new ones. Yeah. I think let's move on then to, firstly, I guess, reviewing Thursday's game as promised at the beginning of the pod. Um, what did you kind of take away from that that 2-2 draw? I struggled to take much away from it, actually. Um, it was an atypical game in the sense that obviously we were playing with a weakened lineup and a few of the individuals in that lineup caused a few structural issues, let's say. And the game as a whole had a weird flow. Sporting were 
in it at points and not in it at other points. The referee made some interesting decisions to say it like that. And the entire game felt, I can't, I don't really know how to describe it. It felt to be played at an atypical pace, if you know what I mean. It didn't really feel like a normal game pace. It felt it was quite often interrupted in certain areas and just felt very sluggish. The ball fumbled in multiple ways. I pitch seemed bad. So there's a lot of outside factors that contributed to that being a game where I personally wouldn't take much away from. I agree with not taking much away from, I think. But I would also say I don't think we were particularly good. I don't think all of yeah. those atypical factors. I think we really did struggle to build out the back a lot. More so than I think I've seen maybe this whole season. I agree. I think how much do you think of that was just down to Matt Turner? I mean, he obviously had quite a tough game. He had. Um, I was actually quite impressed with Turner, not only during the World Cup and before the World Cup, but also in the City Cup game we played, where he was actually taking a lot of risks with the ball and a lot of it worked. It just seemed to simply be down to an off day for him, especially with the ball. Were these risks shorter or longer passes? His long passing, I think, is very good. I think he... He has problems committing to short passing. And I think that in the City game, he made a conscious effort to play short and play balls into central channels to the midfielders, which he didn't really take or execute as well today. It seems to be something he's not comfortable with and has to consciously try to do, rather than it being a natural part of his game, what that you see with, for example, Ramstead. My problem is I think he doesn't really position well to receive after he's done the pass. Yeah. Obviously, we reset a lot. Like, he will, he found himself, like, behind Saliba at times after making the pass rather than offering himself as an option. And then I would also say, with his short passing, I think maybe also we can kind of speak about, like, De Zerbi's choice for Jason Steele over, over Robert Sanchez is interesting, right? Because Robert Sanchez is an elite ball distributor over distance. But I think the issue is that he's not always that smart in picking his short passes. Yeah. And Deserbi mentions that when he, he, he talked about the, the switch, right? And he didn't say, I prefer Jason currently because he's a better shot stopper. He says specifically, I prefer Jason for the way we are playing. So he's yes. essentially calling out that it's the short passing game that Robert Sanchez is currently not doing at the level. Or when he is doing it, he is way too nonchalant with it sometimes. And that and that kind of showed through. I mean, I think Turner, one of the things he did is passing straight into Martinelli, who wanted the ball. Yeah. I think this was in the first half so. And, I mean, he was immediately marked out. It's just that those sort of decisions are quite crucial, actually, for the goalkeeper building out. I mean, Arteta was furious on the, on the touchline, I think. All of that kind of contributed to us really struggling to build out. Um, I want to actually move just because I've mentioned him, but what did you think about Martinelli at nine? Because we've been speaking about all the different sort of combinations that we could have in our front line. The one that we did leave out is Martinelli playing as that central forward, which he did versus Sporting. What did you think of it? Martinelli has a lot of base attributes that would fit him into a nine role, right? A lot of his good work is coming from the penalty box. But I think this game shows as much as we can't take much away from it. But it shows a fear that I've had and a thought that I've had is that a lot of the best work Martinelli does in centre-forward positions doesn't come from him being there, but arriving there yes, and being involved in the game. He's someone who really needs to have a feel for the game to excel in it. And as much as he had that one incredible run through the middle of the pitch with possibly one of the best blocks I've ever seen in my entire life, yeah. <laughs> um, he did struggle and got disconnected with the game more than he does usually, even when occupying the same positions, because he's just too static in that role. I quite like that point about him having to have like more of a feel for the game. It's not something I've considered, but it definitely makes sense for him as a player. I mean, even on the left, he loves to kind of drop in. The one thing, though, is when he's receiving centrally, 
with his back to goal, I don't think Martinelli's good. And I think maybe that is one of the It would be an area to improve when should he ever want to become a nine, I think, yeah. Yeah, and I'm not sure... I wouldn't have foreseen a lot of the improvements Martinelli's made over the last year, but it's definitely an improvement I don't see him making to the standard that you get someone like Trossard or, um, obviously, Jesus. Or even, to be honest, I think Eddie's pretty good at knowing his surroundings, not being so blinkered in when he receives. He's gotten better at it through a lot of individual work since coming yeah, back from sure. his lead spell. So maybe maybe there's hope for for Martinelli there, but I I don't like him at nine for those reasons. But I think in in the in the in the environment that we're in, we don't actually need him to be that. Like we, we have not, we have three very good options there now with we we Nketiah, don't. Trossard, and Jesus. Last thing, Kivio's debut. What did you make of it? It was an unfortunate game for him to come <laughs> into. Because it exposed a lot of things he's not very good at currently. He he struggles in physical contact, I feel, still. His frame, obviously, is contributes to that. But through the lack of rhythm the game had, we weren't really able to see the things we've actually bought Kivio for, which is a supreme ball progressor and a supreme passer, and exposed him in having to go up in... 1v1 duels with quick, tricky Marcus Edwards's, um, which, yeah, made him look quite bad. But again, he's a development player and I wouldn't put much in him having a bad first game in a bad situation where the entire team is not performing at their usual level. Yeah, I think I agree with all of this. Um... I was a bit underwhelmed, mainly because I've been looking very forward to seeing what someone who isn't Gabriel can do in that position. Because as much as I love Gabriel, and we've spoken about him, his qualities at length on this pod, um, I think he's still a bit stiff on the ball, and maybe doesn't limit what we can really do in terms of progressing from that position. You spoke about him being really good passing down the half space. The problem is that's pretty much where he always progresses through. He doesn't have a switch in him at all, really. Yeah, I think I've seen him do it like twice this season. Um, and Kivio, from what I've seen, I don't know too much more, but he definitely has that in his game. He's also very fluid in terms of being able to receive and carry. So I was excited to see that. But yeah, I agree largely. I mean, I'll, there's no there's no value in judging a player off one game, but I also think the circumstances weren't great. Obviously, there was him being maybe a little bit soft for the corner goal, but again, I think that was more on Turner. It was in Turner's light line of sight, far more than it was Kivio's, so he should have taken responsibility for yeah. it. In my yeah, which I think you know, maybe not exactly like optimal from Kivio, but I wouldn't put the blame on him there either. I guess we'll move into the preview. Uh, maybe we should first speak about the people that will be missing. What do you think the implications of Marita, their central midfielder, who scored an own goal for us? Uh, and then quote is their centre-back and captain. What do you think the implications are there for Sporting? It'll be interesting. I think the Quartish one is the one that is going to cause them problems because there isn't really an ad- analogue for him in their squad. Uh, the Morita one is obviously damaging to a point. He's been excellent for them whenever I've watched them this season. They were obviously in the Eintracht Champions League group, so I've had a few opportunities uh. <laughs> to see them. Um, but I suppose they're going to compensate that with having Manuel Ogate and probably Pedro Goncalves playing deeper, Okay. which was the same they did in this game where they had Morita and uh, Goncalves deep. So apart from a lack of stability from losing their central centre-back, I don't think there's much difference here. I think it's going to be more interesting to see how we actually use this personnel-wise and if we really care about the Europa League. So tell me, how do you think we will use it personnel-wise? What do you think? Will Do you think Kyrgyz will play? I'm not so sure. I don't, personally. I think we'll stick with Turner as a cupkeeper. I think it would break his confidence to drop him for a second leg of a cup tie where he got designated to. Um, 
And then I think we're going to run maybe even Tomiyasu right back with Saliba and Gabriel Central. Then this is interesting. Zinchenko or Tierney on the left? Because the one thing that we were speaking about first game, right, is I definitely felt with how Reese Nelson does like to play and the kind of the space he opens up wide with his natural movements inwards, would have been a lovely game to have Tierney on the overlap, which obviously Tierney was sick, probably from wearing a short shirt in the Hypothermia. Um, yeah, probably. So we went with Zinchenko again, but yeah, would you have Zinchenko or Tierney? I think I would test out Tierney again, especially after not being able to play the first game. It'll be interesting to see how the dynamics change because we've really solidified our 3-2 build-up with Zinchenko having even more freedom than he has in any of his previous roles, I'd say. Like, even at Manchester City, he wasn't as free to move as he is currently. So having Tierney there would shake up, but not completely break the system, I'd say. I think the Europa League as a whole will be a big barometer of seeing how much he is going to be part of our future. If he is going to be there or if we're going to consolidate in a different way in that position. I think that's a fair point. Um, for me, I would like to see Tierney. I think him getting, what was it, about 18 minutes off the bench is also a sign that he's maybe getting warmed up. Obviously, you could read it the other way, that you're giving Zinchenko 18 minutes of rest. But I think we'll probably see Tierney. Building from the back, I think we'll see Jorginho again. Um, probably the same midfield Probably Fabio Vieira again. Arteta has been very complimentary of Fabio's qualities, and I think he did show he did have quite a good game before he moved to false nine. Do you think um, it'll be Shaka Fabio or Odegaard Fabio? I, I think it'll be Shaka Fabio, and then if the game gets, because one thing also we don't want to lose that sort of, not that you necessarily. I think you do to an extent. Maybe lose a bit of that physicality in midfield, and in the counter press intensity in the counter press when you lose Shaka which I think Arteta will want to have definitely as an experienced head. I think something we else we saw with Udegaard missing was that we're missing an organizer in our press, like a shouting mm. organizer, when we 100%. don't have Udegaard there. Because the press against Sporting wasn't as incisive as it usually is. And I think a lot of that is down to coordination from Udegaard in his role. I agree. I think that's something we often see with Odegaard as well. Like the, just the quality of our pressing is definitely better when he's there. It's just a natural fact. I think it's, it's an underappreciated aspect of his play as well. Just being able to, to organize that. Having said that, I do think he probably will sit on the bench. I could even see, no, no. I, I was going to say I could even see Fabio starting out on the right, but I don't, I don't actually see that. I think that, I think it's an opportunity there to be had to, from the start. It's possible, especially considering the way... Oh, actually, no. I don't think so. I've had so. it switched around. Yeah, especially the way we shape up our pressing against back threes. I think Saka is needed to sort of play this auxiliary wingback role he did, does yeah. against back threes. Yeah. And then, I guess, lastly, I think Reese Nelson might start again on the left. He was impressive off the bench. Could be Martinelli. That's one of the ones where I could probably see it going really either way. I think there's merit in starting and testing, because we haven't seen it that much, uh, Nelson and Trossard in those roles. That would be interesting. And then with Tierney on the overlap, I would be down for that. And then Sakura out wide. Anything else you think we need to change? I mean, it's definitely a judgment call in terms of like, in the back of our minds, there is going to be Palace on Sunday. And yeah. we're just at that point of the season where it still feels like, I know City kind of only got one goal past Palace the game before, but it still feels like every time we drop points, City aren't going to drop those points. So I think we're in a difficult. fortunate position where both the Europa League game and the Palace game are at home. And yeah, we definitely true. take a lot of soft factor stuff from the home games and create an environment where we're just better as a whole in home games and but I do still think the Palace game will be in the back of their heads especially considering City don't play this weekend 
and will only play after the, uh, the international break because they obviously have their FA Cup tie. So winning the Palace game would create an eight-point gap over the international break. Which is with just nice City to have. then playing Liverpool at home once we come back. Uh, okay. So that creates an interesting situation there. I like how you've planned this out in your head and seen where we can make that sort of jump. The, the run-in is terrifying <laughs> me, I'm completely honest. It's it, terrifying it's me too. terrifying me. Like the second game when we get back is Liverpool away. Yeah, and then soon after that is City. Is it not yeah, actually... I think there's another game in between and then we play City at the And then the Brighton, Brighton comes at some point and then there's also yeah. Chelsea, who I hope aren't, haven't got their shit together by then. They seem yeah. to get their shit together currently. I think the podcast we did on the Jogo Bonito channel has uh, galvanized <laughs> them somewhat. Please, listeners, do give Jogo Benito a listen, by the way. I don't know if I actually remembered to... Yes, I did, right at the beginning of the pod. Yeah. We have arrived at the end of the pod. I guess we'll see what happens with sporting. Thanks again to Seb. Where can we find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Eulenberg or Eulenberg, depending on your pronunciation. And uh, do follow the Jogo Bonito podcast Absolutely. feed on any podcast finder. Um, we've created the Coffee House series where we're aiming to talk about more conceptual ideas and discuss them, as well as doing more off-the-cuff stuff in a different format there. The guys are quite good and i hope that our ramblings on topics are gonna both create conversation and are insightful in a sense and i heavily second that i actually listened to your one about positionism versus relationism and especially considering as a big sort of discussion point at the moment i think you guys covered all the ground really well added lots of new thoughts to the to the discussion um Sorry, I'm not the best at this closing thing. Shout out to Fernando Denis for winning his first trophy in Brazil this uh, <laughs> I'm sure Jamie Hamilton's very drunk right now then. Um, thank you to James Blake, who did the music. You can find his stuff in the link. And yeah, please like and subscribe or whatever for the pod. Thank you, guys. Goodbye.